so excited this morning to be here with you guys, so excited to open up this word, um, and just so excited about what God's going to say. Um, it's going to be good, I just want to say that, um, so hold on, hang on. Um, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews 12, and uh, I'll be honest, I don't think I've been as excited about a message in a while as I have this one. This is so good. Last week we started this um, new series. I didn't really know it was going to be a series, but it's, now it's going to be a series called Run Hard. And I know maybe that's like a weird name because this is church and we don't do a lot of running here. And you've seen me and I don't do a lot of running ever. So you're like, what is he going to talk about, about running? And uh, what I'm not here to offer for you this morning is like the next big exercise plan. So if that's what you're here for, um, sorry about that. Um, YouTube something. It won't work. And then we'll start over next week. But man, um, if that could be the heart of our house this year, this idea that we could run hard. Uh, you, know, you hear that and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, let me bring you back to last week and we'll just kind of catch up a little bit. This idea run hard um, is an idea that God kind of set in motion maybe two weeks ago, a week ago, a week and a half ago, something like that. It doesn't really matter. Um, I heard a message, a uh, passion, and it was not really anything about this. Um, it was actually maybe just even like a maybe a comment that he didn't even mean to make probably, um, but God knew he needed to make it because um, I needed to hear it, right? And um, what, what it was Louis Giglio, and um, in this message, um, he, he made this comment that people ask him, how do you balance everything? Well, if you don't know Louis Giglio, Louis Giglio is the leader of Passion Conferences, which is kind of a big deal. Um, he, he's a pastor of a church. Um, his wife owns a record label, and he has something to do with that too. Um, he travels and speaks kind of all over the planet. Um, God's blessed him with that platform, and he does probably a whole lot of other things that I don't know because I don't really know the guy. Um, and so people ask him, like, how, how do you balance all that? Like, how do you do that, and how do you do family, and how do you do all these other things that you need to do in, in life? How do you have free time, probably? That's probably in there. And his answer was just amazing to me because I think that's a question that all of us ask ourselves like every day, right? Like, how do I balance all this stuff? How am I going to do work and do family and do life and have any free time? Because we've got to have free time. And how are we going to do hobbies? And how are we going to do all this stuff? It's a relevant question for us. It's probably something that we deal with on a regular basis. And his answer was amazing to me because he, he said, who wants to balance anything? Isn't that like freeing just in itself? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to get juggle all this stuff, and I'm doing a horrible job of juggling all this stuff. And he said, who wants to balance anything? And man, that just hit me. Man, what a truth. And he said, we just run hard. We just run hard. See, I think we run this risk today of trying to balance everything. And what we do is we end up living really full lives, but really insignificant lives. We, we do everything, right? We don't have any free time really to do anything. Maybe we got an hour or two a week to sit on the couch, but we're always doing something. We're so busy, and we got this little stupid device in our hand, and we're trying to keep up with everything in the world. And what we do is we end up living really full lives, but really insignificant lives, lives that aren't really worth much of anything. Last week we talked about this idea that, that, that Paul brought to the church, and he said, Everybody that comes to the racetrack, right, everybody down there on that track runs. But only one person wins. And he looks at the church and he says, run in a way that you may win. Everybody here is here for a reason. And everybody here is participating in that race. But everybody here is not doing a great job of it, is what he is saying. And then he looks at him and he says, why don't you run like you're going to win? Why don't you quit running with the pack, quit trying to balance everything, quit trying to juggle life and just run towards Jesus. He says all these runners, they're doing things for perishable crowns. And I wonder how many of us are living our lives for these perishable crowns. This idea that somebody may somewhere down the line benefit from what we're doing because we're family timing and we're FaceTiming and we're doing all these things, but we're living so insignificant that two years after we're gone, nobody's really going to remember who we are. And 50 years after we leave this planet, nothing's going to be made better because we're here, because we're trying to balance everything. He said, what are you trying to balance anything for? Paul's a man that I don't think he was really worried about balance, and look what he left. No, he left, he lived a full life, starting churches, being a missionary, traveling the world, 
talking about Jesus, but he also lived a significant life. And this morning, we're going to talk about just this idea of this race. We're going to do that in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I love Hebrews chapter 12 because it starts with the word therefore. Not a good way to start a a chapter, by the way. Um, These chapters weren't put here by the author, so whoever chapter guy is, thank you for that. Um, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and you're like, what are you talking about, man? Like, <laughs> why did you put the chapter break there? Hallelujah, thank you. Um, that doesn't mean anything to us because there's no context with that, right? Who are the great cloud of witnesses? How do you have a cloud full of people, A, right? And then who is that great cloud of witnesses? So if we're going to even begin to look at this, we've got to back up just a little bit to Hebrews 11. And what we see Hebrews 11 is, is it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, to get us out of here before 3 o'clock today, I'm going to try to just summarize this really quick. Um, So if I don't talk about every verse, every line, just go read it yourself. It's an amazing thing that we have the ability to do because we have Bibles. Um, But it's this idea um, that, that all these people were people of great faith. All these people had faith or belief that God is who he is, and he's able to do what he says he can do. Isn't that amazing? All these people that we're about to read about are people that we can see their lives and they're people that had faith and they had faith in something and that was that God is who he says he is. That's a good starting place today, isn't it? And then after that, not only is he who he says he is, he can do what he says he's gonna do. And here's the reality. When we believe those things, it will affect everything about us. If we're not living a different kind of life, we're not living a significant life, it's not because we haven't been to church enough, and it's not because we haven't changed the radio station enough times, and it's not because we haven't read enough Christian living books. It's at the core of it, a faith problem. These people all had faith that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he does, and every one of these people lived a life around that thought. And can I just kind of add something there? And every time God was faithful. So we look at this chapter 11 and we see him just talk about faith. Now faith, here's what it is, is the reality. You love that? It's the reality. Faith is not some far off distant hope. Faith is not some idea or something. Faith is reality of what is hoped for. Faith is the the substance of what is hoped for. Faith is real. And it says the proof of what is not seen. For by our ancestors, for by it, our ancestors were approved. Here's this list of people, right? It says three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. He says it's a faith thing. It's not a science thing. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a true thing. It's a faith thing. God says the universe was created by who? That's a real question. Who? Who created the universe? That's not a crazy idea today. Can I just throw that out there? Everybody in the world is going to disagree with you on that for just a moment. But let me just tell you something. That's not a crazy idea. It's not a crazy idea that there could be some deity that exists outside of time, space, and creation that started everything. Actually, science even teaches us, right? There has to be a cause if there is an effect. And then science today pulls back and they say, you know what? Nothing started everything. Have you ever seen nothing create anything? It's not a possibility, is it? It's, it's a fairy tale. It's a dream. You, you have to go against science to believe that a big bang would somehow happen and kick off everything. There has to be a cause to make an effect. It's not a crazy idea. And it says here, by faith, by faith, by belief in the substance that's hoped for, right? We believe that God created everything. He created the universe. That, that's, that's a reality for us today. It's real. And if you can't, if you take that out, you might as well not believe anything right? If that's wrong, if chapter one is wrong, go home. I I just want to take that off the plate this morning for you. If chapter one is wrong, go home, because if chapter one can be wrong, so can everything else. By faith, we believe that God created the universe. This is actually, it even goes on, right? Um, So that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. It says, and for by faith, able, right? Remember way back in Genesis, offered to God a a better sacrifice than Cain did. 
By this he was approved, a righteous man, because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he, is, he still speaks through this. In other words, by faith we see that Cain, or Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. We talked about that maybe a few weeks ago. Abel saw God and he believed that God was who he says he is and he could do what he says he's going to do. So he brought the first fruits. He bought the best thing that he had. And Cain here, uh, God's just some guy, right? I don't know that he's exactly who he says he is, so I'm going to bring my leftovers. It was faith that caused Abel to bring a better sacrifice, and it was faith that approved him. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, right? Remember Enoch way back also in the Bible right back there? It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away. He didn't die a death like we die. Enoch followed God because he believed that God is who he says he is and he could do what he says he's going to do and it affected his life and he followed God in such a way that God just pulled him up out of this place. He goes on, he says, by faith Noah, right? Remember that guy built a big boat? Uh, By faith Noah, after being warned about what is not seen, in, in reverence built an ark to deliver his family. By faith Noah built an ark. He believed that God is who he says he is and he could do what he says he's going to do. Probably had never seen rain up to this point in time in the Bible and here he builds a boat. Why do you need a boat if you've never seen rain? What is going to flood the earth? Why do you build a boat out in the middle of the field? Because God said it's going to rain. Everybody, that's crazy. It's not going to rain. There's no way it's going to rain. What is rain, right? And then here he's building this giant boat and then what happens? It rains because God is faithful. He says that he does it goes on, he says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive an inheritance. By faith Abraham, remember that guy was called Abram, then shifted his name to Abraham. By faith Abraham left everything and went out to somewhere, right? God didn't even say where he was going. Hey, I want you to leave, and if you leave, I'll do these things. Where am I going to go? Wherever I tell you to go. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, because I believe that you are who you say you are, and you can do what you say you're going to do. So he leaves. He goes on, by faith, Sarah has a child after Sarah is way too old to have a child. Beyond childbearing years, right? Years ago, years before that, when she still could have had a child, God said, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you a kid. There's going to be descendants from you that, that, are, that are more than the sands of the seas, that are more than the stars in the heavens, right? And then she waits until she's beyond childbearing years, like not just a day or two, but like years beyond childbearing years, and she still has a kid. Why? Because she believed God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, even when the circumstances say otherwise. Even when everything else says there is no way it's going to happen. That's what faith is. And then guess what? She has a kid. You know why? Because God is faithful. There's story after story after story of this, right? You could just go on down through here by faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, this child of promise. All my descendants are going to come through this kid. God says, go sacrifice him. He says, okay. Where do you want me to do it? Over there. Okay, let's go. And he gets up early in the morning and he gets all his stuff together and he goes and he, he, he even goes to the point of drawing back the knife and go, coming down before God says, no, we're not going to do this. Why? Because he believed that even if he did, God would be able to resurrect this child, right? I know you said my seed's coming through this kid. So if what you want to do is you want to kill him and bring him back to make that happen, I want to be part of that story, God, because I believe who you are. And I believe you can do what you say you're going to do. And you know what? God is faithful. Story after story after story. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months. Pharaoh said, you know what? If you have a baby and it's a male, go throw it in the river. And they're like, not this kid. You know why? Because Moses' parents believed, I'm not going to kill this kid because I believe God is faithful and he'll protect us. Then by faith, they put him in a basket and they float him down the river. Whatever happens, God's going God's to do what he wants to do. God's going to get the glory. glory. He floats this guy down. Where does Moses end up? He ends up in the house of Pharaoh, the guy that's telling him to kill all the babies. Yeah, he ends up in that guy's house. And that guy raises him. Or somebody in the house. But you get what I'm saying. Raises him. And he becomes part of the household of Pharaoh. Even goes on, right? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, listen to this, and chose to suffer. Wow, it's not all easy all the time, is it? Faith doesn't mean an easy ride. Chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. I'd rather suffer than sin, is what he's saying. Because I believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he's going to do. For he considered reproach for the sake of the Messiah. He saw the promise. To be greater than wealth and the treasures of Egypt 
since his attention was on the reward, it says, by faith they left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. That's kind of crazy because the king had armies. For he persevered as one who sees him who is invisible because he believed God. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, he says, hey, you know what? God's going to kill all the firstborn, but if you just wipe this lamb blood on the door, he won't kill yours. That takes some faith. Oh, just stay in your house. He's going to kill all the firstborns in Egypt, but he won't kill yours. That takes some faith right there, but it's because God said it. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. You're going to walk through and Uh, a sea that's going to take some faith as though they were on dry land when the egyptians attempted it who by the way did not have faith they were drowned he goes on story after story of faith story after story of i believe god is who he says he is and he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do and every time people had faith every time lives were affected can i just say something if your life is not changed by your faith, you don't have it. That's right. I don't care how many times you come down here and pray to prayer, right? Amen. Amen. If your life is not changed by your faith, you don't have it. Maybe you got faith in a prayer. Oh, I said that thing, so I'm not going to go to hell. That's great, but do you have faith that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do? And if your life's not changed, then you don't, and you're dead. He goes on, and he gives story after story, right? He, can't, he doesn't even have time in the whole chapter to do it. It's too time, look, he says that. Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms. By faith. Not by sword, by faith. Administered justice. Obtained promises. And listen to this, even shut the mouths of lions going to take some faith that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do if you're going to get in a hole with lions and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and every time people believe that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do guess who shows up God you know why because he's faithful every time we have faith God is faithful There's not a story in the Bible of where somebody had faith and God let them down. There's not a story in the Bible of where somebody believed in God and God didn't come through. You know why? Because there is not a story in the time period that this universe has been around that somebody's believed in God, trusted in God, and God's not done what he said he's going to do. It's never happened. What I didn't say is there's never been a time people haven't suffered that have had faith in God because that's false testing of faith is always a part of the picture but there's never been a time that people have trusted god you are who you said you are and you're going to do what you say you're going to do we're at the end of the story the end of the book god didn't come through and they can't say he did it he is faithful because every time it is who he is it's his personality and god can't go against his personality even says when we're faithless he remains faithful that's who he is. And that's where Paul steps into the book of Hebrews, a book written to people, right? The Jewish people who every one of those people would have been on the wall, right? Every one of those people would have been on the, man, that's my hero list. Every one of those people would have been that for every one of the people reading this book. And he says, therefore, because Abraham believed God and God came through, because David believed God and God came through because everybody in all of our history from the first day we showed up in the universe till now that believed in God God has shown up for therefore since we have such a great cloud of witnesses therefore since you can see people that have this example all around you therefore since your whole life has been aimed at this moment right now where you've seen story after story of the faithfulness of God Let's believe in the faithfulness of God, is what he's about to say. You've never seen a time that God's not been faithful, so why don't you have faith? You've never seen a time where God didn't come through, so why do you think today's not going to come through? 
Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, listen to what he says. Let us lay aside every weight and sin, or and the sin, that so easily ensnares us, and run the race with endurance that lies before us. Therefore, since everybody that's ever believed that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he does, has never been let down, let's run this race, is what he's saying. Let's keep running this race, is what he's saying. But I love this little nugget in here. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us because this is key if we're going to run a race. You cannot run a race with endurance covered in sin. And you cannot run a race with endurance weighed down. So he looks at the church, this group of people that are followers of Jesus who say, I've said a prayer, I have faith, I, I want to follow Jesus, who probably feel really bad at it. If we just took a poll this morning, who feels bad at following Jesus? Probably most people. We'll raise your hand if you were honest with us today. If you're not honest, we'll pray for you. Um, and he looks at these people and he says, lay aside or take off or put away or put to the side. It's this image of like taking off a coat. I'm not going to take my shirt off. I don't have anything on under it. But it's this image of just taking something off intentionally. He didn't say pray that God will give you the strength to lay off, did he? If you're praying, God, God, just take this away from me. You need to do some work is what he's saying. It's this image that we, we can lay off or we can take off these weights and these sins that so easily ensnare us. So like, what does he mean? Well, let's just tackle sin first because we probably all have a pretty good idea what sin is. So we got the dictionary definition of sin up here if you want to write it down. Sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. That's what sin is, right? Hallelujah, amen, thank you, Webster. That's a brilliant dictionary definition. An immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. That's what sin is. Basically, sin is something that would make God unhappy. Sin is something that God has told you not to do. Sin is going against the law of God. And I think... Today, maybe we could waste a whole lot of time talking about every single sin, but let's just be honest. We know, right? Could just be honest. You know what sin is. You have a conscience. You may have dulled that thing way down, but you got one. And you know the things that God has told you not to do. You know what sin is, so let's not waste time on that. And let's not even waste time talking about the fact that sin is bad. Sin makes you dead, so by definition, something that would kill you is probably bad. Right? right? Ephesians 2. <laughs> you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. Let's not waste time dealing with is sin bad and dealing with what individual sins we may deal with today. We're all sinners. Yeah. Amen, hallelujah. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. You've been a sinner. You didn't become a sinner. You were a sinner at birth, and you'll be one till death. You are a sinner because you can't keep all 613 Laws of God. You're not going to do it. Not going to do it. Agreed? Not going to do it. If you're alive and you're breathing, you're breaking the law. I'm just going to let you know uh, you, you are a lawbreaker. The amazing thing is, is that Jesus stepped into the story somewhere along the line, and Jesus, by his death on the cross, set us free from the penalty of sin, the punishment of sin. That Jesus came right by the immeasurable grace of God by his death on the cross set us free from the penalty of sin. That's called salvation. That's a past tense term, hopefully, for most of us. There may be some of us it's a future term for, hopefully. And maybe some of us are just going to ignore that we have to deal with it all together. But, but it's called salvation. Jesus sets us free from the penalty of sin. In other words, when, when I leave this place, I'm going to go to a better place, not a worse one. 
that I don't have to be under the wrath of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. He set us free from the penalty of sin. But the amazing thing is, and what I want to talk about in this little moment this morning, is he also set us free from the power of sin. See, what Paul is saying here to the church is you don't have to live under sin. You don't have to live under the power of sin. That's amazing truth this morning. I just want you to know that. That's an amazing truth this morning because so many of us deal with sin every single day and we've given up. I can't win. I can't beat it. I'm just going to do it, right? You've been there. Maybe you are there. Maybe you live there. Maybe that's your day. You know what? I'm, I'm just, I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. So I'm just going to quit trying. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. But there's another part of salvation called sanctification. It's part of the plan. It's this process of being made more like him, more like Jesus. See, because when Jesus died, he not only set us free from the um, penalty of sin, he set us free from the power of sin. And today, what Paul's saying when he says, lay aside these weights and these sins, is you don't have to live under the power of sin anymore. The devil may say, you're a failure, you're going to screw it up, you might as well just quit and just do the church thing because you're never going to escape sin. And Paul says, that's a lie. That's a lie today. You can, because of what Jesus has done, live above the power of sin. And he looks at these people and he says, lay it aside. Take off sin is what he's saying. Not just take off the punishment of sin. We love that part. I don't want to go to hell, right? But he says we can also take off the power of sin. Man, I love that because there's hope in that verse for me. And I'm not saying you're never going to sin, you're never going to be tempted, you're never going to screw up again in your whole life. But what I am saying is you don't have to wallow in it. There are so many of us that live in these moments of perpetual sin where there's this one thing that is killing us and stamping us down. And we're like, I'm never going to be able to shake this one. And he says, you can. Lay it off. Lay it aside. Take it off. Let me just speak this truth into the room today. There is nothing that can come against you that is stronger than the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Amen. I'm going to say that again because that's truth this morning. There is nothing that can come against you that's stronger than the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Amen. This morning, sin doesn't have to beat you down forever and ever. You don't have to just kind of do that perpetual roll around in the mud pit this morning. Paul says, lay aside sin. And if he says it, I believe that it's in this ability this morning that we can do it. So how do we do it? What's verse or what's chapter 11 talk about? These people that believe that God is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he'll do. Can I just be honest with you today? If you're still living in perpetual sin, it's not a knowledge problem. It's not a reading problem. It's not a prayer problem. It's not a worship problem. It's a faith problem at the core. I'm not saying you're lost. I'm not saying you're dead. But I am saying that Jesus says, right, that he's come to set us free from the power of sin. Do you believe it? you have faith in it? Do you have faith that he's the son of God who came here to set us free from those things? That he, when he died on the cross, took care of all that? When he did that, he crushed the head of the serpent. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, not just like, oh yeah, I agree with that, but I'm going to shape my life around it. And that powerful voice that's been in your ear saying, you'll never get out of this. You'll never get out of this. You have to come around this idea that that's not the voice of God. Let me just ask you this. That sin that we're living in, do we have faith that God's not trying to hold something good back from us, that God's trying to keep us from harm? Do you have faith that the God who comes to die on the cross, that Jesus, the one who spoke the universe, has power to set you free from that sin? Do you have faith that he's better than anything this world has to offer? It's a faith problem. Sin is a faith problem. Can I just, let's just hear that again. Sin is a faith problem. Living in sin, choosing to live apart from God is a faith problem. And we do it every day and we justify it by, I can't get out of this. That's false. 
You may take a long time to climb out of that hole, but through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you can say no. Can I just put that out there? You can say no. You know how I know? Because some of you are really good at it. Amen, right? You want to do this? Nope. Let me, let me just flip that on you. You want to read your Bible? No. You want to pray without ceasing? No. You want to invest and dive into the work of God? No. You want to tell people about the Savior that was like Jesus commanded that like 14 times after he died on the cross and was resurrected? You want to do that? No. See, we're good at saying no, right? We just say no to the wrong voice. Is that problem a I don't come to church enough problem? Let's just say it together. No. Is that an I don't listen to worship music enough problem? No. It's a I'm not living in this moment of, God, I believe who you say you are. And I believe you can do what you say you'll do. So Paul steps in and he talks to these people and he says, therefore, read chapter 11, therefore, since we've never demonstrated ever that God is not faithful, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside sin and run our race with endurance. It's going to be hard. Let's do it anyway because God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And wouldn't it be good if that was the only thing that he listed today because that gives us some homework, right? See, some of you are still dealing with, uh, I, don't, I don't know that I really deal with that, that lifestyle sin. You do, find it, cut it out, follow Jesus. But in case you don't, he puts this other word there right before that, actually. I just want to tackle sin because that's the easiest one. He says, let us lay aside weights. Let's lay aside weights. So weights... Um, just dictionary definition again, is a heavy object, especially one being lifted or carried. A weight is a heavy object. Look at that. Hallelujah, amen. Nick knows that. He works out. Uh, a weight is a heavy object, especially one being lifted or carried. You know why he puts these in two different categories? It's because not every weight is a sin. Some are. Some of the heavy objects you're carrying around keeping you crushed down so you can't run your race, some of those things are sins. In fact, today, you can't run your race because you're so weighted down, you're trying to crawl toward Jesus because you're living in sin. But not every weight is a sin. Not every weight is a sin. A weight is just an object in our life that keeps us from following Jesus to the fullest. Something that would slow us down or hold us back from running towards him full speed. And some of those things in our lives are sin. And if we'll get rid of them, we'll find that we become a lot better followers of Jesus. But I just want to throw this in there. Not everything that's keeping you from following Jesus at full capacity is, is a sin. Some of it is just burdens and things that you've heaped on your back trying to balance everything. For some of you, it's, it's relationships, right? Like you got a relationship and you know that relationship is not of God and you won't cut it off. And he's saying, cut it off and follow Jesus. You like the things that come out of this relationship, this person, this friendship. You like the things that are coming out of that, but, but it's keeping you from following Jesus. And if it's keeping you from following Jesus, I'm inviting you today to lay it off is what he's saying. It's a weight. It's not necessarily a sin, but it's holding you back. And if your boyfriend, girlfriend is holding you back, you need to cut them off. That's harder with a husband or wife, I'll just be honest. But if your husband or your wife is holding you back, you need to do something that gets that relationship in the right spot so you can both run after him. Yeah. I'm not saying go sign the paper, right? Like I'm not saying go get a divorce. But what I'm saying is if they're holding you back, you either have to get that relationship right or you have to leave them in the dust and say, I'm going to follow Jesus and you can figure out what you're going to do. I'm not leaving you, but I'm leaving you, right? I'm going to live here, and we're going to be married, and I'm going to love you, but I'm going to follow him. And if you don't like that, you're just going to have to deal with it because I'm going to follow him. Let them do what they want out of that. Most of them will come along with you, probably. They just know they can hold you back, and they don't have to. 
For some of you, those weights are you're trying to juggle being a good mom, good dad, good whatever, and you're putting so much work into that relationship, and you're putting zero into one that's going to last for more than the next 80 years. Can I be honest with you? You can be the best mom on the planet, but if you die far away from Jesus, you didn't do anything significant in this life. Best dad on the planet, but if you die far away from Jesus, you didn't do anything significant in this life. You didn't live for anything that mattered. And at the end, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven, but I'm going to say you're going to get there and you're going to be sad because you wasted 80 years on nothing. In the eternal currency, family time ain't worth much. trying to balance those things run after jesus and take your family with you for some of you that way is you know what um i don't believe i'm loved some of your weight i don't believe i'm worthy of love that's some of your weight for some of you your your past is your weight god says i've taken care of your past right but you're still weighing around laying around in shame and you're still laying around in fear, and you're still laying around in guilt, and you're wallowing around under those weights, and it's hindering you from following him. I could list weights after weights after weights. We could be here for the next six weeks talking about weights, but let's just be honest. You already know what your weight is. You know the thing that's keeping you from him. But let me just ask you, if you're still sitting in that weight, what's the issue there at the heart of it? Is it that you haven't come to church enough? No, it's not. Is it that you haven't heard the right message? No, it's not. There's never going to be the right message. At the core of it, let me just ask you this. Do you believe God is who he says he is? And you believe he can do what he says he's going to do? Do you believe that? Not just like, oh yeah, I agree. That is why I come to church. But in the core of me, God says I am loved. Do I believe that I am loved? Because God says it. Not because I feel it. Your feelings aren't worth anything. Feelings are liars. Do you believe today that you're forgiven? Because God says you're forgiven. It's all over this book. You cannot find anywhere in this book that God says, you know what, I just, I gave up on you. (laughs) You know what, some people just aren't worth it. Where'd you read that? Who said that to you? Do you believe God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he's going to do? And if you do, why are we living in it? You're living in shame. You don't believe one of those things. You're living in fear. You don't believe one of those things. You're living in, I'm not worth anything. You don't believe one of those things because if he created everything, including you, he describes worth to you, right? You're living in this relationship is the most important thing in my life. You don't realize who he is. You don't have faith that he is who he is and he can do what he says he's going to do. I, I got to spend all my time trying to do this hobby or doing this thing or keep this relationship or be a good blah, 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 blah. Then you don't believe that he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Because people that have faith in that, man, we can lay those things aside. We can lay that down. And here Paul steps into this church and he says, look at this book, man. Look at this book. Have you ever read this? He's talking to the Jewish people. He's like, guys, you've got this memorized. You, you know the, the deep details of everything in Abraham's story. Maybe some of us have never read it, but these people knew everything in it. You, you know why Abel was accepted. You, you, know, you, know, you know why Daniel got in the hole with the lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember those guys? They, they got in the fire, and before they got in the fire, they said, you know what, I believe God is able to, to rescue us from this fire, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I'm never going to bow to you. Because I believe God is who he says he is, and I'm not going to exchange that. I'm not going to worship some statue, and I'm not going to worship some man because I believe that God is who he says he is. And if I have to burn for that belief, then I'm going to believe it. You know why? Because I'm not looking for a home here that's comfortable and amazing and great. I will burn to death because I'm going to a home there that is greater. And Paul looks at these people, and he's like, do you believe that? We have a great cloud of witnesses. We have people all around us that their life screams, God is a faithful God. You've studied these people for years that their life screams, God is a faithful God. If you believe who he is and you believe he can do what he says he's gonna do, it's gonna affect your life. And if it doesn't affect your life, you probably just maybe need to think about, do you even believe it? 
Faith is not a, I agree to come to church contract. See, most of us have enough faith that will show up. But we don't have enough faith that it'll ever do anything in us. And I'm not saying you're lost, but I'm saying you need to think about it. Because if all faith does is give us enough love for God, God, I love you enough to come to church, you don't love God. God, I love you enough to change my radio station, you don't love God. God, I love you enough that, that I'll, I'll even read every once in a while. You don't love God. God, I love you enough that I'll sing the songs. You don't love God. I'm just being honest with you. I love you, and that's why I'm being honest with you. Because when we love God, it changes everything about us. When we see, man, you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you're going to do, everything changes. Everything. Not my Sunday mornings changes. Everything changes. When you see that Jesus loved you enough to leave heaven and come down here and live a perfect life for you, you are worth that. And then at the end of that, to die on a cross, he never did anything wrong, and he died a traitor's death. Had nails jammed into his hands, wrist, whatever you want to call it, and and his feet. He, He wore a crown of thorns. The one who wore light in heaven wore a crown of thorns. You know, thorns were even a product of sin, right? They didn't even exist before the world fell. wore a, cra- a sinner's crown, took beatings and mocking and shame, and we didn't deserve any of that. And when you see that, and you see that that moment on the cross has the ability to set us free from everything else, you say, you know what, I want that. I want that. I don't, I don't know what you did, Jesus. I don't get all that. I don't know why you did that, but I want that. So if you got that, I want that. Change everything about me because I believe who you say you are, that's who you are, and you can do what you say you're going to do. And man, that's enough for me. That's faith. That's faith. Faith like Abraham. I will leave everything. I'll leave dad, I'll leave mom, I'll leave everything because if you call me into the wilderness, I'll go into the wilderness because I believe you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you're going to do. That's the faith of Daniel that says, you know what, I'll never bow before a king. I will never worship a man. I'm always going to worship God. He's always going to come before people. You know what, I love people. People are great, but I'm never going to bow down to him because I see who he is and he's the only one worthy of me bowing down to him. And if that means I end up with a cave in lions, you know what, they may kill me. The lions may kill me. But I've seen who you are. And I'd rather be eaten alive than ever, 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 ever worship something that's not worthy of my worship. And God said, you know what? Thank you for your faithfulness. Y'all just go sit over there, lines. Paul steps into that room and he says, you know what? When you've seen it, when you see it, I don't know if you've seen it, when you see it, you can you don't have to. You can lay down every weight, everything that's holding you back, you can lay it down. And every sin, everything that's crushing you down, you can lay it down. But it's not going to come through church attendance, and it's not going to come through messages. It's not going to come through podcasts. It's not going to come through Christian living books. It's not going to come through Bible study. It's not going to come through prayer. It's not going to come through worship. It's going to come through the vessel of faith. Because faith is the only currency here. He says, lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us. Here's why. You know why we lay aside people being the greatest thing in our life? A, because it's not worthy, but B, because it ensnares us. You know why we lay aside sin? Because A, God tells us not to do it, but B, because it's going to hold us back. It's going to ensnare us. Actually, the definition for ensnare, just one more this morning, if you want to write it down, is that ensnare means to catch in or as in a trap. Ensnare is, is to trap you. To ensnare something is to trap it. I know it's like a weird word. We don't use that anymore. We just kind of replace that with trap, and that's sort of common vocabulary. But I love the word ensnare. It's kind of fun. Um, and, and it's a trap. It's a landmine. He says, you know why we lay aside sin? Because it's a landmine. It's a trap. You know why we lay aside weights? Because it's a trap. You know, the amazing thing about traps, though, is once you see them, they don't actually mean anything. 
Yeah, if, you, if you can see a landmine, why would you step on it? That's stupid, right? If you can see a trap, like if there's a giant hole and it's covered with like a leaf, why, why would you step into that? It's dumb, right? It's dumb to step into a trap that you see. Because just to be honest, the enemy set traps in our, in our life, and, and a lot of us are just walking into them day after day. And, and so maybe, maybe we know, maybe we know, maybe we don't know. Maybe we don't know there's another option, like I could just walk around the trap. Maybe it just never made sense to us before. I just, I have to go that way, and eventually maybe I won't fall in that hole anymore, right? Eventually maybe the landmine won't work. Like maybe we just, every day we're like, that's the only way that I know, so that's the way, only way I'll go. But the amazing thing about a trap is once you see a trap, there's no reason to step in the trap. So why did Paul say this? Because once you realize that sin is holding you back from following Jesus, maybe, just maybe, you'll quit stepping in it. And once you realize that these weights in your life are holding you back from following Jesus, maybe, just maybe, you'll quit stepping in them. Because let's just be honest, if you step in a trap after you see the trap, it's not an issue of did I see it anymore. I can't blame it on that. Once I see the trap, it's a choice. And if it's a choice, we've got a whole load of other problems. So Paul writes this to us and to them, and he says, you know what? You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to walk in sin anymore. The Holy Spirit in you is stronger than anything that will ever come against you. You don't have to walk in sin anymore. He gives us the off switch. We don't have to do that. You don't have to walk in weights anymore. You don't have to continue to let all this stuff that you're trying to balance weigh you down. Who wants to balance anything? Just follow him. If you follow him, he'll take care of you being a good mom. I just want to put that out there. If you follow him, he'll take care of you being a good dad. I promise. You just put, I'm just putting that out there. If you follow him, he'll make sure you're a good spouse. I'll, I'll just promise you that. I'm putting that out there. If you, if you follow him, he'll make sure that you, you, can, you can get rid of all that shame. If you follow him, he'll get rid of, I don't feel loved. Because you'll quit working off feelings. And just work off the reality that God is who he says he is and he does what he says he's going to do. And if he says you're loved, it means you're loved. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. So he says lay off these sins and these shames. Quit falling in the trap. I'm highlighting the trap. I just went through your life and I'm like, hey, let's just highlight this thing is keeping you from Jesus. This thing is keeping you from Jesus. This thing is keeping you from Jesus. Now what are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep living in it or are you going to lay it off? Because you can. Are you going to keep living in it or are you just going to keep going that way? Because you can. You, you can do it. Because the Holy Spirit in you says you can do it. Because God is who he says he is and he always does what he says he's going to do and he's faithful. You, you can do it. He says, let's quit stepping in the traps and here's what we're going to do when we quit stepping in the traps. Run the race with Endurance. I love the word endurance. I think I actually lied. I have one more definition. Endurance uh, is just a word that means the fact or power of enduring. I love when they use the word in the definition. Um, An unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. It basically just means don't give up. But can I say, like, inside of the definition endurance, we just see it's not going to be easy. You don't ever have to endure something that's not hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's on the page. It's on a lot of pages. Actually, even Jesus says, right, like, you want to follow me, take up your cross. It's hard. A definition following Jesus is a difficult thing to do, but we can do it. And we can persist and we can do it without giving up. But if we're going to do it, if we're going to run the race, if we're going to actually chase after Jesus, if we're going to persist when it gets hard and it's difficult and we feel like we're doing a bad job and we feel like we can't do it, what it's going to take is great faith. Nobody ever runs for very long that doesn't have faith. I just want to be honest. Nobody is going to be an athlete that doesn't believe the prize is worth it. I'm not going to 14 practices a week if I don't believe at the end that ring is going to be worth it or that trophy is going to be worth it. I'm not going to do that. Right? So I don't do it. I'll just be honest. I mean, I would love to have a six-pack, but I also love cheeseburgers, and my faith is that cheeseburgers are going to be better for me than a six-pack. 
not I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Don't hate me for that. Um <laughs> But if we believe, right, if we believe it's worth it, if we believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he's going to do, that is enough to carry us. That is enough that we can continue our race. That is enough that we can chase after him. So, so, so the hope would be that we would, we would run our race with endurance. And he says in verse 2, wow, that came out of one verse. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's the goal. Last week, remember, we talked about the goal is not heaven. I mean, that's a good side effect. That's not the goal. The goal is one day I'm going to see Jesus. The goal is not I'm going to meet people that I love that went before me. That's a great side effect, but that's not the goal. That's never going to be enough to carry you. Right? Not hell is not enough to motivate you to live a life that follows Jesus. Not hell is enough to get you enough love to go to church. But man, when we see Jesus, we have faith that he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he does, man, that will reshape everything about us. He says, you want to get out of sin, you want to get out of weights, and you want to run the race with endurance, you've got to put your eyes on Jesus. And then he says this, and I love it, the source and perfecter of our faith. The source and perfecter of our faith. Some of you are like, man, I still live in these things, and I, I don't know how to get out of these things. Well, lock your eyes on Jesus. Sin is a faith problem. Look at the one that started faith and will make it perfect. Weights, man. I, I don't know how to get out from under these weights. Put your eyes on Jesus. The place where our faith started and the one who makes it perfect. This morning, it's not a I don't come to church enough problem and it's not a, I don't listen to the right music problem and it's not I don't pray enough problem and it's not a I don't worship enough problem. It's a faith problem. If we're living far from Jesus, if we're not running our race, it is a faith problem, but the answer is the same today. You know what started our salvation process for everybody that's ever been on it? We saw Jesus. You know what will move you through sanctification? You know what will defeat sin in your life? You know what will cast off all the weights and make all the things we're living for look like nothing? The same exact thing, Jesus. Man, we'll never get over Jesus if we're going to follow Jesus. We'll never get past Jesus if we're going to follow Jesus. There is no greater person, there is no greater name, and there is no greater truth. And today, if as a people, even as you a people, would lock your eyes on him, it will transform your life. Because people that have faith, people that believe God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do, will form their lives around it. Let's pray.